Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. So the vaccine wars are rampaging across Europe, North America and elsewhere. Increasingly, it feels like society is divided between a smaller group who is resisting taking the vaccine for all sorts of different explanations and reasons, and a majority that is increasingly insistent that they do that. We have someone here today called Paul Kingsnorth, who has a insightful sense of those two groups and how we might better understand them, which seems like a really important thing to try to do. Hi, Paul. Hello, Freddie. By way of introduction, you're a writer, poet, former environmental activist. Maybe you might consider yourself still an environmental activist and an unheard contributor as well. And you've written a piece for us, which I'd love to just explore, where you essentially take the vaccine wars, this hugely divisive and controversial question, and try to look under the hood at what it might be symbolising or representing in bigger terms. I mean, I'll start off by saying that for me, this is, it's, um, it's always worth taking a step back and looking at the context. The, dis- the decision to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, which ought to be a personal medical decision that everybody could take, becoming a proxy for something much bigger, which is a conversation about the kind of society that we want to live in, and a, society, and a conversation about the authoritarianism that is rising very, very fast for which the vaccines or vaccination status are being used um, as a proxy. So there are two conversations you can have. There's, there's, firstly, there's the one about is the vaccine safe and should you have it? And that's a conversation that's been going on for a long time, which everybody's furious about increasingly because this whole conversation has fallen into the ruts of the culture war. And that will go on and on and on. And again, as I say, personal decision whether you do that or not. Um, but then there's the other conversation, which is about whether your vaccine status should be used to demonstrate your acceptable position in society. Now, that is something radically new. That is something radically new. Conversations about whether a medication is safe, old as the hills, especially new medications like this one in a situation like this. Um, But conversations about creating a society in which you can only access um, many of its services and many of its positions with a, a digital passport that explains that you have had a particular medication. That's a Rubicon. We've never had anything like this before. We've never had the technology to do it. So what we've got is a kind of proxy discussion People are arguing about the vaccines, but they're really under the surface arguing about 
what kind of person you are if you have taken these things, whether you're a good or a bad person or a clean or an unclean one. I've been watching this for a long time, as we all have. And I think my personal kind of Rubicon was watching what happened in Austria and actually watching some of your interviews with the people in Austria, too, where it suddenly became acceptable to move on from vaccine passports, which were bad enough already. But suddenly we have mandatory medication. We have vaccine mandates. Of course, we have what's been going on in the United States where people have been walking out of their jobs in huge numbers because of this because of this enforcement. And so we have this. We have this situation in which the scapegoat mechanism is kicking in, right? We can very, very clearly see the so-called unvaxxed, who are often represented as anti-vax or far-right actors or general you know, conspiracy nuts, becoming the new class of people that's acceptable to demonize and abuse and even threaten to kill. And that's where we are now because of the choice that people have made. And this is being used to justify an authoritarian society, in my view. So what we see then is this conversation sliding into the preconceived ruts of the culture war, which were there already. So we already have a very divided society, especially in America, also in Britain, less so where I am in Ireland, but it's still here. Um, and, the, and the vaccine conversation then slips into these ruts. So you have the, uh, the um, uh, and, and the piece I wrote for you draws on a notion by an academic philosopher called Peter Lindbergh, who talks about the thesis and the antithesis when it comes to the ways of seeing the vaccine, or not just the vaccine, but the whole the whole attitude. So the thesis is the establishment position. It's held by the the, the you know the, the official media and the governments and social media and generally speaking the the sort of tribes of the left, if you like. And that's that everything that's happening is basically fine and it needs to happen to reduce the impact of the virus, right? Masks, lockdowns, even vaccine mandates and passports. This is all good. It's necessary. It's temporary. It's fine. And concerns about it are overblown. Then there's the antithesis, which sees that these things are dangerous and uh, potentially wrong. Maybe the vaccines aren't safe, the masks are pointless, and we're sliding into authoritarianism. Now, plenty of people um, don't necessarily hold completely to either of these positions, but they're good ways of seeing the debate. And once those two positions slide into the culture war we had already, and people start throwing rocks at each other, then nobody's listening to the other person. And, and, and Lindbergh's suggestion, which might be optimistic, but it's probably right, is we need to come to a synthesis of these. And the only way to do that is for people to listen to the fears of people on the other side. Why don't we just dig into those two positions a bit and try to work out, because obviously there are good people in both of those camps, well-meaning, virtuous human beings who we want to be you know, prized members of our society might take either of those views or a combination. So the, the, the thesis view, that I guess is more commonly held by kind of elite type or more establishment characters, why do you think they have become so holding to it so passionately and so defensive of that view? Let's try, let's try to understand that first group first. I started off broadly in that group, right? Um, saying, I mean, and I, you know, I've, I've followed all the rules. I've been very well behaved. I've worn my mask out and I still do all that. And I'm not one of these people who thinks you shouldn't wear masks or you shouldn't, you know, I, I'm very careful with this. I, I, it's a nasty illness. I don't want to pretend it isn't. I don't want to get anyone infected with it. So, you know, I'm not stomping around saying that nobody should be should should should, should take a position. But I think there's an issue of institutional trust. And I think this is a big deal in the West at the moment. And I think that maybe one of the reasons this is so divisive in America and, and in Britain, too, and in some other countries, is that, as I said, it's feeding into pre-existing kind of ideas about whether you trust authority or not. So in Britain, I get a real sense that this is feeding into the Brexit kind of division that was there anyway, right? So since 2016, 
there's been an enormous division in Britain behind between the, the so-called leavers and the so-called remainers. And we know that the so-called remainers, not all of them, but many of them are from the elites. And we know that was the, the position of every every aspect of, of business, politics, the establishment media, et cetera, et cetera. They lost. That was a, a, an existential crisis for them. They decided to deal with that existential crisis, many of them, by demonizing the leave voters as fascists and racists and bigots and ignorant people who needed to be educated. And then along has come this other issue, which is also about institutional trust, because broadly speaking, the thesis position is people who trust uh, what the science is said to be and what the government says and what the public health advisors say uh, and, and, and is very suspicious of any dissident, any, any dissent. And this is how they have managed to, uh, and the justification for that comes from, you know, we have to protect lives, right? I've had a lot of people say this to me, oh, this, it's very dangerous to question this. So if you've told yourself that the authorities are correct, broadly speaking, and this is the way to go, and we've got an urgent situation, we have to protect lives, then you can justify almost anything. You can justify social media uh, shutting down conversations. You can justify the media uh, deliberately taking one side of the story all the time and ignoring the other one. You can justify vaccine passports. You can justify lockdowns of the vax. You know, what can you not justify if you get to that position? So I think that people, broadly speaking, who, for as you say, for good reasons, right, because they think this is a public health thing, are cleaving to a particular narrative and are very frightened of allowing the other one even to come into the conversation. And so to be even broader about that group, do you think we could say that they view this as yet another potential threat, a potential challenge to a world that they felt was going in the right direction and was being well organised and was safe and they were flourishing in it. And since the kinds of things like Brexit and other things, but now this vaccine argument, there are these internal assaults on that safe world from parts of society that they don't understand. Is that something like that going I think on? that's true. I mean, I think, as you say, there's a lot of people who have just taken the vaccine because they thought it was the right thing to do for themselves and for society, which is a perfectly good decision. And who knows, maybe they were right. But you know, what's interesting is I think both sides of this think their world is coming down because it kind of is, right? I mean, this is, this is the culture war in a nutshell. Everyone thinks their world is collapsing and they have to defend themselves against the people who are coming at them. So yeah, absolutely. Those people broadly, the sort of liberal elite, so-called in the old cliche, um, who are since 2016 have seen the whole thing coming down the comfortable world that they thought they were part of, just being challenged everywhere. And the story they're telling themselves is that everyone who challenges them is a fascist or a nutter. Um, on the other side, the people who are challenging that story have felt for a long time that their world was disappearing, you know, that they were, they were uh, threatened by everything from, I don't know, migration to the European Union to political correctness to whatever it is that people are upset about. And you've got two teams increasingly now who think that this is existential. Now, most people, most people are not really interested in this stuff, I find, in the real world. They're not on Twitter screaming at each other. But the people who, who, who are, the, the, the people who actually run things, who are running the institutions, they're engaged in this stuff all the time. And there's a big class element to it as well, which is that, you know, this is broadly speaking the kind of professional managerial class, if you like, who are doing this stuff. And increasingly, the people who are being demonised are kind of working class or lower middle class people. So you get all that feeding into it as well. We sketched the thesis position quite well. Let's just try to do the same for the antithesis position. So it does occur to me that quite a few people who have, were previously not involved in culture war questions have become so via the COVID-19 issue. And so it has actually radicalised people who would otherwise not be in a culture war. What is it about 
their group? What, try and put us in the picture of what they fear and what they feel. I started off, broadly speaking, being a conventional thesis kind of a chap, and I've slid towards the antithesis position, certainly. And the fear is very simple, certainly from my point of view, and it's the fear of, of galloping authoritarian control. Um, and the, the fear more broadly, and I think it, there's, there's reality in this, um, very much so, is that a pre-existing trend, which we, all, we could all see, towards technological control and monitoring and compliance in society, uh, the, 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 the use of uh, everything from social media to smartphone apps to um, algorithms to artificial intelligence to push us towards a society, something that I call a machine society, which is controlled, monitored, everybody is compliant, um, and we have to effectively create a, a smart world, right, where everything's online, including our bodies, including our homes. This stuff's all been on the agenda for a very long time. There's no secret about it. That was happening anyway. That's the direction we've been moving in. Now, the fear uh, on the on the so-called antithesis side, if you leave aside all the conversations about whether vaccines or masks are good or whatever, is that this virus is being used, and I think it is, to push us in that direction. Now, that argument can be used to justify any kind of crazy conspiracy about how Bill Gates faked the whole thing or whatever, but that's not the issue. There's no conspiracy needed to see that what is the way that this is being managed through technology, through the vaccine as a techno fix, through authoritarian mandates, QR codes that you have to scan to go to the pub, all of that stuff is taking us into a normalization of ourselves as kind of acceptable digital members of society. And we move towards, this is the great fear, and I think there's truth in it, that we move towards a Chinification of the West, right, where we're basically walking into a social credit system. And if people have now normalized scanning their smartphone to go anywhere with their QR code that tells them they're healthy, what gets added to that? Is it your insurance details? Is it your social media profile, whether you said anything bad and got mobbed today? Um, how, uh, and, and we have to see all that in, in uh, another way in the context of the work I was doing for years on environmentalism. We're going into an age of climate change. We need to manage emissions. We've got sort of collapsing and crumbling ecosystems. It becomes more and more necessary to tightly manage people, right, so that we don't create a, a kind of damaging mass society, control their emissions, control their behavior. And again, right, lots of good people will say, well, this is necessary. So you don't need an evil cabal who wants to destroy you. You just have to look at the logic of where the technological society is moving. So that's the fear. And as I say, as, as I've watched this, I mean, you know, two years ago, I heard people predicting that this would lead to vaccine passports, and it sounded like the sort of thing David Icke would say. And now it's here. So <laughs> where do we go next? I don't know if you've seen this as well, but actually a lot of people who would fall into the thesis group, people mm -hmm. who are fine with a lot of these measures and aren't especially worried about them, would share a lot of those other concerns. So yeah. if you start talking to them about the direction of travel in the world, too much surveillance, too much technology, you talk about the Chinification of society, they will be interested and often quite worried. They just don't connect it with COVID policy. No, I think so. I think that's true. And I think also you have to factor in the fact that for two years we've been frightened, right? I mean, so the whole of society has been pretty much terrified for the last two years of this virus. Now, you could argue about whether that sh it should have been that way or not. But because we're frightened, we can be, you know, fear is a great controlling device. People are frightened. So they will accept things now that they wouldn't have accepted before. I don't think anyone would have imagined. I mean, even, even lockdowns. I remember this discussion on the first lockdown. Would people in the West ever accept anything like this? I don't know if you remember watching the first cases of lockdowns in China and saying, oh, I'm glad we don't have anything like that here. You couldn't imagine it in Britain. But it didn't take long for it to happen everywhere. Now, again, you could have, you could, I'm not arguing that it wasn't the right thing to do. 
but we've seen a very big, fast shift in our, what I suppose is a kind of technological Overton window, you know, towards what we're prepared to accept. And you're right. If you talk to most people about this, they are concerned about it, but they don't connect it with this because a lot of people feel, look, we just have to get rid of this. This is really frightening and it's dangerous. You know, it is dangerous. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing this down at all. It's, you, if you're elderly and vulnerable, it's a nasty thing and you, you need to be very careful with it. Um, I'm not suggesting a sort of blasé attitude to the virus, but what we're accepting in the name of tackling it is becoming increasingly disturbing. They also uh, often make the argument that freedom doesn't really mean freedom to do everything you want at all times. It, it means also freedom to live, freedom to be healthy. So there's a kind of philosophical defense yeah. of that. Uh, and also that true libertarian or liberal life never meant freedom during an emergency. When there are special situations, freedom has always been curtailed. And they talk about the blitz and other periods when that's happened. What is your response to people who raise those objections? Yeah, well, that's obviously true. And I think sometimes that's a bit of a false debate, um, as if people who have objections to what's going on are somehow sort of uh, cowboy libertarians who want to be able to do everything they want all the time. Um, that's never been where I've been coming from as a writer or a person. And as I said, I've, um, I've, accept, I've lived through some of the longest lockdowns in Europe here in Ireland, and there might be some other ones coming, and I'm quite happy to obey the rules. And, and I'm very careful if I'm around elderly people. And, you know, this is important. It's social responsibility. Everybody has that. Um, so there's always been that balance, hasn't there? There's always been that debate between what freedom means and what, what security means and what the balance between them is. There's always going to be that going on in a society. And you're right, in emergencies, you know, no one's going to suggest that you shouldn't black out your windows during the blitz because you didn't want to, right? Um, and those are the kind of arguments people make. The question you have as an individual is where you want to draw the line. And that's a personal question for everybody. And I'm drawing my line at lockdowns of the unvaccinated. I'm drawing my line of vaccine passports, and I'm drawing my line as something, as something that segregates us. Consider the fact that everybody came together when the virus first came. Consider the sort of pieces that you were publishing in, in, in Unheard, actually, where people are saying, maybe this will put the culture war behind us because we're all united against something much more important, which would have been great. So at the, at the initial stages, when everyone was clapping for the NHS and going into lockdown together and, and the rest of it, people felt like there was a sense of solidarity because people were coming together against a common enemy. As soon as you introduce... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The vaccines into the conversation, and especially the mandatory vaccines, what you have is a kind of techno fix introduced into the mix, which is produced by a profit-making company, which is very new. And so people are concerned about it and start having debates about whether it's safe. Then you start mandating that. Then you start demonizing the people who won't take that. And immediately, when the whole thing coalesces around that technology, you've got this huge division in society. You've taken something which was a form of solidarity where pretty much everybody agreed. Some people didn't, but pretty much everybody, okay, look, this is a nasty virus. We better do something about it. Immediately, you've got a culture war because of the technology that came in. And now the fury and the anger and the abuse that's going on, especially against people who don't want to be vaccinated or who even raise their voices against it. The difficulty of saying anything on social media, however nuanced, even if you're a virologist or an epidemiologist, that isn't going to get deleted. Again, I mean, that's something that we seem to have normalized, the fact that Silicon Valley has decided what misinformation is and what we're allowed to say. And again, that you can always use an emergency to justify that. But you know, 9-11 was used to justify any number of measures which haven't gone away since then. So at what point do we decide that there ought to be a political discussion, that there ought to be consent? Who's, deci- who's making these decisions? We're just slipping into them without really having a conversation because it's almost impossible to have the conversation now. It feels like these two groups are getting further apart at the moment, doesn't it? And actually, the more amped up both sides get, the more entrenched a portion of them get, and the less likely it is that this synthesis is going to happen. You know, so, where, so where are we headed? Well, it's a good question. I mean, again, that's a cultural question, isn't it, that was here before, even before this. Um, there's so many fractures and, uh, and cracks in Western society. This COVID has acted like a literally apocalyptic thing because the word apocalypse literally means revelation. It's shown us a lot of things about our society that we could afford to avoid before, one of them being how utterly broken the whole thing was and how fractured. And yeah, I mean, look, the ideal scenario would be that there are no coercive measures, especially coercive measures that divide people, right? So you might want to argue about lockdowns, but a lockdown is a coercive measure that involves everybody. Okay, so fine, that's one thing. A vaccine mandate is a coercive measure that divides people. So the same thing to do would be to say, right, as a society, because we value our social cohesion and because it's not simply about getting the numbers of this vaccine, this infection down, we have to consider wider things like the long term impacts of whether we can work as a culture. We're not going to do coercive measures that divide people. Again, some countries have done that. And the other obvious thing to do would be for both sides to kind of leave their extremists to the extremes and actually try to talk to each other, right? You don't have to believe that this is a conspiracy to kill everybody. Neither do you have to believe that everybody who doesn't like vaccines is a neo-fascist. You can just leave those people to scream on Twitter and try to have a conversation. Um, And at a personal level, that's something everybody can do. You talk about how you've learned more in the last two years than in the previous 40-something years. (laughs) What is it that you've learned? You talk about a, a roughness of culture, a sort of a lack of sympathy for your fellow humans. What is it that you think has been revealed to you about who we really are? Well, I just think I've learned a lot about human nature. And a lot of it hasn't been very nice. <laughs> and that includes my nature. You know, this includes my nature, my, my sort of tendency to look for 
sources of information that agree with me already, for example, which is a very common thing, the kind of confirmation bias, or this endless temptation to get into a tribe, you know, and throw rocks at the other tribe. It's there all the time. But generally speaking, I've just seen, I think society is much less, I mean, I'm someone who's written about this before, but even I, to me, it was almost an intellectual idea before, before COVID came along. Society is much less stable than I thought it was. And authoritarianism and a desire for kind of fighting and war and that stuff is much less far under the surface than I thought it was, actually. And that's what really disturbs me. I didn't think I'd be living in a time where we would have to have arguments about tyranny, actually, which is potentially, I think, what is coming. I know it's a big, big word, but, you know, the kind of biomedical tyranny is possible. And I'm not talking about lockdowns or masks or whatever. I'm talking about where we could be going with this kind of technological division of society. That's all on the table now. And I never thought we would be in the position of having to, to argue that we should not isolate a third of the people in our culture for medical reasons, or, or indeed argue that we shouldn't censor the media so that we shut out dangerous decisions. It's a, bit, a little bit like the ongoing conversation about free speech, which I suppose we all thought was settled and then turned out really not to be. So it's almost like everything's up for grabs now because as the, somehow as the social structures break down, the kind of wild desire for kind of war <laughs> and authoritarianism is coming out on all sides as well, by the way. Where does that leave liberal democracy, this uh, phrase that often gets bandied around? All of these democratic na national units around Europe and uh, America that have been flourishing and thriving for such a long time feel like they require a certain degree of baseline agreement about what constitutes knowledge, what constitutes a fair decision, who should be allowed to do what against who. If that breaks down into these tribes that you're talking about, how will we be governed? Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? And it's been breaking down for a long time. This is a much longer and bigger issue than just COVID or even culture war. It's about what, what a society is and what its sources of authority are. And we've gone through a whole process of, of, in the whole of the West, transitioning from being basically Christendom, a society which had a, a, a sacred story, right? So a religious story ties a culture together. It gives it a sense of a symbolic meaning. And our, our symbolic meaning was the Christian story. And we started to abandon that in the 18th century. And we moved into another story with a different symbolic meaning. And this was the story of progress. And progress was a materialist story. There was no longer anything so-called supernatural. We moved into the story of progress, material, um, measurement, science, technology, reason, all of that stuff. That started to break down really in the 20th century, I think. Um, it wasn't really sustainable to talk about progress after the Holocaust. And the more problematic we saw science and materialism to be, and the more we realized that materialism wasn't enough for us as human beings, then that story started to break down as well. So Christendom broke down as our, as our source of symbolic meaning. Progress has broken down as our source of symbolic meaning. So we're a society in the West that doesn't have a source. We don't know who we are. We don't know what, what to believe in. So we just, we, the, the social media kind of accelerates this a thousandfold because we can form tribes, we can mob people who disagree, we can go for war instead of conversation. That happens all the time. Um, and then we end up in a place where we are now with screaming, competing tribes. COVID comes along, accelerates that another millionfold because that gives us a fear factor. We can argue about viruses and masks until the cows come home. And we haven't got a core. We haven't got a cultural core. So the future you know, in that sense, the only way you can hold people together is through authoritarian measures, right? More control, more laws about what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, where you can go, where you can't go. 
because real societies and real cultures are held together by a sense of social norms. And we haven't got them anymore, right? Regardless of whether you believe in Christianity or progress or any of these things, they were, at least for a while, stories that held us together. And I think we haven't got a story that holds us together anymore. So do you think that people who are in the antithesis group, people who might not be taking the vaccine or are worried about the direction of travel, in some way it's just a surface proxy for something closer to rejecting the whole rational only view of the world that actually those people might i have no polling evidence to support this by the way but do you think that that group is more likely to be yearning for kind of religious meaning or things other than science to make sense of the universe i think there's got to be some truth to that um you know there's a dark side to that as well because things other than science can be very dark things um, you know, you can go into some very nasty places when you're challenging that consensus. But um, that's the fringe, luckily. And I think that's I think that's right. And my intuition is about the same. And I don't have any data to back it up either. Um, but yeah, I think so. Because if you think about the thesis position, it's very much the thesis. It's, it's the position of progress and reason. Um, and it tells us that science and technology will solve this problem. We get the right scientists together. I mean, it's very interesting to me the way that we've sort of medicalized the whole of society, you know, we have these public health experts standing at lecterns and they tell us what we should do. And we think, well, who, who elected you? Who are you? Where did you come from? Where's the political debate? So we close down politics and we get that sort of medical science to tell us what to do. Um, and they say, right, here's what to do. Lockdown, wear a mask. Here comes the vaccine. And, and we sort of obey it. But as it, as it sort of fails, and it is failing, you know, we had this vaccine rollout and now we're back to, to a lot of uh, problems with the virus. Whether or not the vaccine worked in certain ways, it obviously hasn't ended the pandemic. That's not an argument against it, but that's just an observation of what's going on. So as, as that sort of progress and reason um, attitude visibly fails, then yes, absolutely. A lot of people who have a strong intuitive sense that we need something else start to turn against it, uh, which is pretty much what I've done in a way, um, because I've seen what seemed to be a reasonable response to the virus turned into quite a scientific authoritarian system, which I'm not allowed to question without being called terrible names all over the place. Um, and that's happening to billions of other people as well. So yeah, I think so. I think there's a sort of incohate yearning amongst antithesis people for some other way of doing society. And we don't know, there's, there's, no, there's no consensus because there's so many different people in that camp of all sorts of different perspectives and backgrounds. That also explains why people in the thesis group find it so baffling and, and therefore probably so frightening that according to their own internal logic, which is one of science and rationality and with certain stated objectives that can be reached through certain measures, there is no argument against some of these measures. And actually, it's almost more of an aesthetic uh, objection. It's something to do with the, what a beautiful life should look like. It's a spiritual objection, actually and I've done this myself to some degree, make the mistake of trying to argue in scientific terms about what's going on. And they start saying, oh, the vaccines don't work for this reason, or we should take ivermectin or whatever. And then everybody starts throwing peer-reviewed studies at each other. Nobody really understands them, except the people who wrote them. Um, and we reduce it to this level of materialism. And, and it's not at that level. It's exactly that. Um, the people are not, not that there aren't legitimate debates to be had about that stuff, right? But actually, I agree, under the surface, that's not what's going on. But we don't have the language, we don't have the spiritual language or the cultural language to talk about what's going on under the surface. So we just argue about the science. Um, and there's something much bigger, much deeper going on. This is what I mean about COVID being a revelation. It's showing us 
something that's really missing this great this spiritual void this cultural void at the heart of our culture we don't even know how to talk about yet so in a sense the message to antithesis people is once you've already conceded the terms of argument that it's entirely about the efficacy of a vaccine or the safety or you've already lost because you're not so, going to yeah. win that long term what's actually yes. other values need to be delineated and called on to make a case for whatever the science whatever the level of risk this is somehow not how we want to live yeah i think that's the big thing and that's you know i've discovered that by getting it wrong myself actually <laughs> or at least engaging in those arguments at that different level and like i say they're fair arguments to have most people aren't qualified to have them on either side i mean who's qualified to argue about the efficacy of the vaccine very few people actually we all pretend we are but we're not um that's exactly that if you are challenging the authoritarian system the technological system the system of kind of scientific progress and control that is manifesting around COVID and which COVID is being used as an excuse to create, then you have to argue with it on those terms. You know, you don't argue about particular approaches. And you also have to recognize there are legitimate medical approaches to trying to tackle the virus and not get into pretending the virus doesn't even exist or it's not very dangerous for some people. That's just also self-defeating. You simply say, look, can you not see that this attempt to defeat a virus is creating a society which is looking increasingly terrible. And we don't know how long that's gonna last, and we don't know whether it's ever gonna go away. And that's where I'm coming from. And that's why I, you know, I feel the need personally for myself to say, I'm drawing a line at certain things that I'm not gonna go along with. And even though you know, you're gonna get monstered by sticking your head above the parapet, you have to stick it up if you're concerned about that. Whether or not you're vaccinated, that's irrelevant. Right? Control systems are separate from your opinion about particular technologies. Final question for you, Paul. What are those values that we should be talking about, do you think? Because one, the word freedom gets bandied around a lot, and that, frankly, has already been sort of sullied. It's, it doesn't carry a great deal of weight in a public discussion because it's, it's, it's used in ways that are hard to defend. What are the values that need to be kind of talked about? Yes, it doesn't mean anything freedom, does it? I mean, you can make an argument that freedom is one of the things that's made society disintegrate over the last 50 years. You know, this, this constant obsession with individual freedom in all areas, whether it's economic or cultural, has, has, has had exactly that kind of acidic impact on things. I'm really, you know, it is unfashionable, but I, I, I like to talk about spiritual values. I like to talk about what the actual higher meaning of a society is, and what a culture is, and what it regards as its God. You know, if you haven't got if you, you know, you're going to worship somebody, as they say. So what is the higher value of your society? What's the purpose of being here? What are we even here for as humans? What kind of culture do we want to live in? Is it just we try and maintain the bare facts of our biological existence for as long as possible using technology? Or does life have a wider meaning? And if it does, what is it? Those are not debates anyone's going to agree on, um, but they need to be discussed. And at the moment, we've come to a society, and again, something else COVID has revealed, that we doesn't really have any meaning at all except on the material level. So we all scream at each other about that and we talk about freedom, as you say, or we argue about vaccines or whatever. But there's a there's a void. And this is the void that the culture war has shown us. And the, it, it circulates around the question, who are we? What's the meaning of a human life? And what's the meaning of living in a society to allow that meaning to flourish? Now, I don't believe that the value of the human life is shopping or living as long as possible. Um, as if those were inadequate things on themselves. We have basically, effectively, you know, for, for a long time now, we have been systematically demolishing everything but the material realm. 
And this is where we've ended up. And where that leads you is into Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse, right? It leads you into the matrix. That's where we end up going. Because why not download your mind and live forever if there's no meaning to anything else? So it's a big, it's a really big discussion that is not going to be resolved at any point. But we don't, as I say, we need to learn to talk again on that kind of almost mythic spiritual level. Not, not an easy thing at the best of times, <laughs> especially not now. But that but is very um, interesting advice, I think. And, and you know, people watching, the thing anyone can do is to try and raise the debate. And not, not try not to get too angry. Try not to go down a rabbit hole of this scientific fact versus that scientific fact, and try to restate something bigger that matters to you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can use this as an opportunity. Um, you can use this as an opportunity to try and explore exactly those things and to try and keep the debate higher. Which is, you know, it's hard. We all fail at it. I fail at it. You get dragged down rabbit holes and argue about this, this sort of details of things with people. But it's a much bigger discussion because this. This virus and the reaction to it has revealed this great spiritual void, I think, in our culture. And that's the thing we ought to be homing in on. And like you say, doing it with kindness, trying to listen to each other's fears instead of this constant warring abuse that just doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. It just goes round and round and round and round. And we miss the big picture of what's really going on. Paul Kingsnor, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to him for sharing his views on what the pandemic has revealed, some of the underlying epistemological or scientific or worldview distinctions between us and the process of trying to bridge that divide is going to be a difficult one, but I guess we have to start somewhere. Thanks to him, thanks to you, this was Unheard. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.